0: Section 6. Of Whom We Shall Welcome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. Whom We Shall Welcome. Report of the President's Commission on Immigration and Naturalization section six part two chapter three a immigration and our foreign policy in the executive order which established it the commission was given the task of considering the effect of our immigration laws and their administration, including the national origin quota system, on the conduct of the foreign policies of the United States and the need for authority to meet emergency conditions such as the present overpopulation of parts of Western Europe and the serious refugee and escapee problems in such areas, end quote lessons of history. None can truthfully say that the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor was a direct result of the Immigration Act of 1924. However, responsible experts have assured the Commission that the Japanese Exclusion Clause of the 1924 Immigration Act contributed to the growth of the nationalistic, militaristic, an anti-American movement in Japan which culminated in war against the United States. While the 1924 bill was under consideration, the Japanese ambassador pointed out that the exclusion clause would be a serious blow to Japanese self-esteem. His counselor of embassy warned that it would undercut the pro democratic forces in Japan and strengthen the militarists. Secretary of State Hughes urged Congress not to, quote, affront a friendly nation, end quote, by placing a legislative stigma upon its people. But the bill became law, and the consequences predicted for it came to pass. Ultra nationalist and militarist elements in Japan gained strength and fervor in their efforts to whip up hatred of America and to spread the doctrine of quote, Asia for the Asiatics. End quote. One of Hitler's excuses for taking Czechoslovakia and attacking Poland was the need for quote, living space. End quote for germany's growing population mussolini used italy's overpopulation to excuse his attack on ethiopia the japanese government attempted to justify its invasion of manchuria on similar grounds without in any way justifying the wrong done the commission believes these examples demonstrate the vital role that migration or lack of migration plays in world affairs american immigration law unfortunately has not always been formulated with an eye to its effects on our international relationships but there have been instances of recognition particularly in recent years the repeal of the chinese exclusion act in 1943 and the repeal in 1946 of exclusion directed against india in favor of quotas for both countries were themselves implementations of foreign policy The repeal of Japanese exclusion in 1952 further demonstrated a growing American realization that immigration policy can be a positive as well as a negative factor in foreign policy. The present non-quota status of immigrants from the Western Hemisphere is another recognition of the foreign policy aspects of immigration law theoretically and practically the national origins formula could have been applied to these nations too but here our quote good neighbor end quote policy and considerations of hemispheric foreign relations seems to have prevailed the displaced persons act is another recent recognition of the relationship between immigration and international stability Our whole national history illustrates a point which has only recently come to be recognized in its own light. American immigration policy and law must be formulated in awareness of their international impact and must be designed to advance our foreign policy. Responsibilities of Leadership Our present immigration policy dates from the period following the First World War. That was only some thirty years ago, but it was a different era of world and of American history. Then the United States was seeking to avoid the international responsibilities which its power and stature placed upon it our present immigration laws are rooted in the period of america's blindest isolationism today the united states is in a different position for good or ill this country now occupies a position of leadership among the nations of the free world we cannot avoid the responsibilities that fall on the shoulders of a leader The United States can never again turn its back on the facts of international relations. Although the United States is a world leader, its leadership is effective in only part of the world. This means, among other things, that our responsibilities toward those peoples who share our outlook are sharper and clearer in the struggle against communist totalitarianism today as against other totalitarianisms yesterday it is obvious that for our own well-being we must have genuine friends and firm partners in this situation Any action the United States takes or fails to take inevitably affects the partnership we speak of as the community of free nations, and because it affects the partnership, it also reacts upon our own position of leadership. This is especially true in connection with actions which relate directly to the nationals of other countries. This is not to say that our immigration laws should be determined by what other countries or people want, but it is to say that what the United States itself should want in its immigration laws should be tremendously affected, in our own welfare and security, by the effect such laws have on foreign countries and peoples. The responsibilities of leadership include and require, A decent respect to the opinions of mankind. Immigration is part of foreign policy. If any view presented to the Commission can be said to be substantially unanimous, it is that our immigration law is part of our foreign policy. It came to the Commission from diplomats, businessmen, scholars, clergymen, labor and farm leaders, civic leaders, club women, in fact, from almost every walk of life. Officials dealing with American foreign policy feel this very strongly, as is shown in their testimony before the Commission. The Secretary of State of the United States, Dean Acheson, advised, Immigration, like most important facets of our national life in these times, is closely linked with our foreign policy and objectives. Our immigration policy with respect to particular national or racial groups will inevitably be taken as an indication of our general attitude toward them, especially as an indication of our appraisal of their standing in the world. It will therefore shape their attitude toward us and toward many of our other policies. End quote. The Director of Mutual Security, W. Averill Harriman, stated quote, The kind of immigration policy we adopt is a factor in the world struggle between democracy and totalitarianism. End quote. William H. Draper, United States Special Representative in Europe and formerly Undersecretary of the Army, stated to the Commission, Whether we like it or not, we are part of the world, and we can no longer disassociate ourselves from what happens elsewhere. In endeavoring to strengthen the economic and military defense of the free world, and particularly of the North Atlantic community, we should recognize immigration policy as one of the elements in achieving economic and political stability as well as social equilibrium. End quote. The Psychological Strategy Board's consultant, Edward M. O'Connor, told the Commission of his conviction that, quote, Our immigration law together with its enlightened administration, is a fundamental instrument in the conduct of our relations with other nations and must at all times, and particularly in times of international crisis, be geared to a dynamic, purposeful, and far-sighted policy of world leadership, end quote similar concern for the relationship between immigration and foreign affairs was expressed by outstanding private citizens russell w davenport former editor of the magazine fortune testified nothing perhaps has affected the world standing of the united states so deeply in so many ways over so long a period as its immigration policy the united states has always stood forth before the nations as a haven of refuge from tyranny and disorder and this fact has profoundly affected the traditions of our country and of our free way of life moreover as we look toward the future our immigration policy appears to become more important rather than less we are a symbol of freedom, and the world looks to us to define in concrete ways how freedom can be achieved. Our immigration policy is vital to that definition. End quote. Miss Anna Lord Strauss, past president of the League of Women Voters and former member of the American delegation to the United Nations General Assembly, stated to the Commission, quote, i had the opportunity to learn something of that when i was over in paris at the general assembly at meetings with representatives formerly from countries that are behind the iron curtain who were living in paris we had discussions at that time as to what the united states might do to be more helpful in these discussions which were very frequent very frank and quite unfavorable as to some of the actions of the United States, there was an underlying friendliness to us, but a difficulty in being able to interpret to their people our country. And, time and time again, it was an immigration problem that was at the root of it, because, as they kept saying, no matter what you say... If you don't act according to your professions of faith and your statements, they will discount entirely what you say. And the immigration question came up very frequently, in quite a variety of discussions that I had with those people. Mrs. Z. W. Schroeder, of the General Federation of Women's Clubs, declared, quote, I would like to particularly add emphasis as to the question of the co-relationship between immigration laws and restrictions in our entire foreign policy. So my plea is this. Your immigration laws in this country, our immigration laws, should be a flexible instrument of our foreign policy. J. D. Zellerbach San Francisco industrialist wrote the commission, My strong conviction is that the present immigration laws are in direct conflict with United States philosophy and policy on foreign affairs and are unrealistic in facing up to world conditions. The president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, A. B. Klein, wrote to the commission, United States immigration policy should be made to serve and support the overall national policy on international relations. The late Philip Murray, president of the CIO, stated to the commission through Alan Haywood, executive vice president, Our immigration policy is a part of our overall national policy. For us, at the very time when we are striving to build a mutual security system, in cooperation with our allies abroad, to make our immigration and naturalization laws ever more virulently isolationist and anti-foreign, not only makes very little sense, it embarrasses us in the pursuit of the wider objectives of our foreign policy. Both our national interest and the deep humanitarianism which has always characterized Americans as a nation require that we reverse this trend of the last two years and establish a new policy on immigration and naturalization which will be consistent with 20th century conditions and ideals. End quote. Many of the country's religious leaders expressed the same view that American immigration law is as much a part of our foreign policy as a foreign treaty. The National Council of Churches of Christ, in a resolution of March 1952, presented to the Commission, stated, We believe it is of the utmost importance that legislation be enacted that will conform with our democratic tradition and with our heritage as a defender of human rights. The adoption by Congress of enlightened immigration and naturalization laws would add immeasurably to the moral stature of the United States and would hearten those nations with which we are associated in a common effort to establish the conditions of a just and durable peace. End quote. In discussing this resolution, mrs mildred mcafee horton officer of the national council of churches of christ and formerly president of wellesley college and director of the waves stated our immigration policies or their administration have alienated us from parts of the world whose goodwill is important i want the commission to know that there are people and many of them who are more afraid of losing the friendship of our friends and potential friends than we are of the threats of our enemies. There are people, and many of them, who believe that America is safest when she generalizes the principles she accepts for herself and takes seriously the idea that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Immigration and naturalization policies, which thwart those rights for the rest of the world, will not permanently strengthen or safeguard the United States of America." Dr. Paul C. Empey, Executive Director, of the national lutheran council called the commission's attention to the fact that the new immigration law is not geared to current world needs but rather is related to historical circumstances of many decades past the refusal to open our doors to refugees would be a staggering blow to the strength of our moral leadership in the current ideological world struggle. The Missouri Synod Lutheran Church was represented at one of the Commission's hearings by Reverend Werner Kuntz, who said, quote, Some of the things which I read in Public Law 414, seem more akin to the superiority complex that was spawned out of the foulness of nazism than to the humanitarian attitude which our fathers taught us it is not the kind of thinking that one should expect of a nation that has been thrust into a position of world leadership and whose example can shape a better destiny for a disordered world End quote the archbishop of boston the most reverend richard j cushing submitted a statement to the commission which included the following observations the above indicated discriminatory and undemocratic features of the mccarran walter law are to my mind a grave potential threat to our domestic development and our international leadership monsignor edward e swanstrom executive director of war relief services national catholic welfare conference testified as follows we need an immigration program that is sufficiently elastic to enable whatever administration may be in office to face up squarely to a domestic and foreign policy which is in keeping with the position of world leadership which the United States enjoys today. It is foolhardy to lose sight of the fact that our immigration policy has a foreign as well as domestic impact. Our immigration policy has as great an effect on our neighbors as the technical and economic assistance we are extending abroad. Our immigration policy has an economic, psychological, and political character of an extent that would be difficult to measure. In light of these considerations, I think it is most fortunate that the creation of your commission has given us an opportunity to reassess our entire immigration and naturalization structure and policy. We have today an American policy on immigration which is completely outmoded, out of harmony with our ideas and actions, and completely at variance with the foreign policy which we are pursuing in accordance with such ideals." End quote. Bruce M. Mohler, director of the Bureau of Immigration of the National Catholic Welfare Conference, urged that, quote, the immigration and nationality law of the United States should reflect, or at least be adaptable to, the foreign policy of the country, end quote. Rabbi Abba Hillel Silver of Cleveland, Ohio, stated before the commission, quote, racial discrimination creates disunity at home and resentment abroad it interferes with our foreign relations and the role of international leadership which destiny has thrust upon us in recent years it is one of the fundamentals of our political philosophy and an essential part of our foreign policy to treat all peoples alike regardless of race or origin we stand committed to the principle of fundamental human rights for all men alike. We cannot press for international acceptance of these principles, and at the same time offend nations and races by discriminating against them in our own immigration laws. Lester Gutterman, speaking for the American Jewish Committee, and the Anti-Defamation League of Beni B'rith declared that, quote, Our immigration policies and practices are of vital importance in preserving the health of our democratic American society, and play a major role in our country's leadership in the maintenance of a stable world order, end quote. It is significant that during 1952 the governments of Canada, the United Kingdom, and the Philippine Republic have, through diplomatic channels, called attention to certain irritating inequities and administrative complexities of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952. Programs of Action Testimony before the Commission that America's immigration policy is inextricably bound up in our foreign relations, is fully corroborated by the actions of our government. Through the United Nations, through other international organs, and through programs of its own, the United States has participated, often as a leader, in every important post-war attack upon the problems of international population pressure, migration, and resettlement. Almost every part Of the United Nations organization comes into contact, in one way or another, with some aspect of the problem of people moving across borders. In most instances, that contact is limited or incidental. In quite a number, however, it is direct and even exclusive. UNRRA, from 1944 to mid 1947, had a Displaced Persons Program to which the United States contributed some $58 million, not counting the supplies and transportation granted by the Army. From 1947 to January 1952, the International Refugee Organization, IRO, which was solely concerned with refugees, received $237 million, nearly 60% of its budget from the United States. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees is getting about $250,000 from the United States in 1952 to 1953 and is seeking to raise more funds. Congress has authorized in the Mutual Security Act of 1952, up to $50 million for Arab refugees in the Near East, and up to $45 million for Korean relief, both to be administered by U.N. organizations. The Intergovernmental Committee for European Migration, formerly the Provisional Intergovernmental Committee for the Movement of Migrants from Europe, formed in nineteen fifty one by fifteen governments at the instance of the united states and now comprising twenty countries has received nearly twenty million dollars in the last two years from this country the organization for european economic cooperation the european coordinating agency for the marshall plan and later for the mutual security agency is concerned with migration as a method of balancing manpower needs for higher production. So also is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, whose concern with manpower is more pressing as an aspect of Western defense. Independently, the United States operated a four-year program that brought nearly 400,000 displaced persons to this country a total of about nineteen million dollars of united states appropriated funds went into this program for the president's escapee program to assist iron curtain refugees four point three million dollars in appropriations and one point nine million dollars in counterpart funds have been made available the leading role the united states has played in most of these activities and our financial support, give conclusive proof that this country recognizes the importance of relieving population and refugee pressures, and of facilitating the movement of persons. In practice, however, we are faced with the fact that our immigration laws are discriminatory, obsolete, and fail to measure up to the needs of our foreign policy. And of Section 6.